You are listening to the CMC Podcast. Join us each week for messages designed to equip, inspire, and motivate. And now for today's message from Pastor Paul Kern. Well, welcome to church. Glad you're here. We are in part two on a series of spiritual warfare that we've been doing. And and if you didn't get a chance to hear it last week, I want to encourage you to go back to our podcast and listen we're on iTunes and Google Play and Stitcher and um, TuneIn and you name it. We're, we're, we're out there. We're, we're there. So listen to us. We're even on Spotify, so I encourage you to listen to us. But I want to recap just a little bit before we get into part two and what I want to be talking about uh, in this session. One of the main areas that we discussed in part one was God's good intentions toward us. And we talked about how the devil likes to take a statement and turn it into a question. He did that with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, you know, where God told them, hey, eat of anything in the garden that you want, this one tree, don't touch this one tree. And then the devil comes along and said, did God really say? See, he turned God's statement into a question which produced suspicion in the hearts of Adam and Eve, and that's what the devil likes to do. Intention means purpose. So if we understand God's deep love for us, then when he says something, We won't question God's purpose for us. We won't question his good intentions for us. And like I said in part one, the the devil loves turning a statement into a question because he wants us to live in suspicion and doubting God our entire lives. Now, we're Christians, and when we die, we're going to heaven. But while we're on earth, we'll live defeated. And that's what the devil wants to happen for us. And I, I want, obviously, we're going to talk a, a little later about the, th- the, the devil. He's a thief. He comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But if the devil can just get you living just this mediocre, survivalistic life, that's what he wants to do. Just, man, I'm just trying to stay above depression. I'm just trying to wake up every day and make it. I'm just, you know, there's no victory mentality in your heart. And that's where God's wanting to take us to. And we're going to talk a little bit about that uh, tonight. I've had the opportunity over the years to work with a lot of young adults and you know, we have an internship, and I have to be honest with you, you know, I've had a lot of young adults come through our internship. When they arrive here, they're in pretty bad shape. <clears throat> They've come from broken homes and uh, difficult situations, and they come here depressed. They come here with a lot of anxiety. They come here with a lot of fear, and I've been in situations where I've counseled young adults who were dealing with the spirit of depression in their life and even suicide. And at the core of all of these conversations that I've had, the majority of them, at the core of all of them uh, that I've had, there's just this mistrust of God. And it comes from things that have happened to them in their life. And because bad things have happened or things seemed very unfair, certain situations happened in their homes, maybe there's divorce, maybe there's a death, maybe there's some tragedy or whatever, it just has produced this deep suspicion inside of them, which has caused all of these emotional issues in their life. And I want our church to understand that the devil comes to shake us, but God comes to steady us. See, that's the Lord's job. The Lord steadies us in the midst of difficult things that we all face. And we have to understand how powerful God is in our lives. Listen, we give the devil way more credit than he's due. We really do. And, you know, we, we tend to take the devil and make the devil into something really, really big, and then we take God and we turn God into something really, really small, and that's the strategy of the enemy. 
So we're going to talk about the fact that the devil has a strategy, but we're also going to talk about that God has a strategy for us. Now listen, here is a vital key. For those of you that are taking notes on your phone or on your notepad, you need to write this down. This is a vital key. The way we sustain a life of victory is to have an authentic relationship with the Holy Spirit. You've got to have an authentic relationship with the Lord. Just being religious isn't going to be good enough. Not when you face spiritual battles. You can't win when you're not connected with God authentically every single day. Now listen, we all know about, we all have relationships. If you're not feeding that relationship, cultivating that relationship on a daily basis, what is going to happen? It's going to die. And it's the same with our walk with Christ. It's impossible for us to be alive on the inside and win spiritual battles in our life without the help of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. He is the one that Jesus sent to be with us everywhere that we go all the time to empower us, to counsel us, to help us, to encourage us every single day. So so don't forget about the Holy Spirit. You know, Francis Chan wrote a book called The Forgotten God, and, and he is really the part of the Godhead that seems to be forgotten, but the Holy Spirit is the most important part of the Godhead while we're here on this earth because he's the one that connects with us every single day. But God didn't create us and give us our lives to be labeled as failing, purposeless, meaningless, powerless. Our lives are meant to overflow Jesus died so that we could overflow, that we could walk in hope, that we could get up every day and we've got energy and we've got vision for our future and we're excited about, come on, we're excited about where God is going to take us. That's the way God wants us to live. So so we have to see this. Now, it's important that we understand the difference between the spirit part of our life and the flesh part of our life. And so I want to break this down just a little bit. Some of you have been walking with the Lord a long time, and you're going to understand what I'm talking about. But I remembered when I first learned this, it was a game changer for me. Because I wasn't able to differentiate between, hey, I've got this fallen nature, this flesh side of my life, and then I've got this spiritual side of my life. I've got this side of my life that really loves God wants to do good. But then I've got this side of my life over here that's just this rebellious rascal that's giving me trouble everywhere I go. Can I have an amen? Right? So it's important that we recognize and we understand these two sides. So when you accept Jesus, your spirit is awakened to a new reality. You're made alive unto God. You're connected with him in the spirit. But our souls, our flesh, that is in a continual process of being renewed every single day. And the minute that you take your hand off of it, The minute you take your hand off the wheel, the minute that you take your foot off the gas pedal, you're going to come to a coast spiritually, and then you're going to begin to go backwards. That's the way it works. So our spirits are awakened, and they're made new when we first accept Jesus, but our souls still have this journey that's ahead of us, and this journey's happening every single day as we live our lives. So what's the difference between our souls and our spirits? And some of you have heard this explained before, but for the sake of maybe some new Christians, I think it's important that we kind of go over this. The soul is where the mind, the will, and the emotions live. How many of y'all ever heard that? Your soul is your mind, will, and your emotions. Our mind encompasses our thoughts. 
our, our emotions, I mean, our, our, uh, our emotions are where our feelings reside. And that's, you know, what kind of makes life good or what can make life not so good sometimes, depending on whether or not we're in control of them. And our will is where our, our determination and our decisions originate, okay? So this is that soul side of us. Our spirits, on the other hand, that's the redeemed parts of who we are. You know, when Jesus came into our life and we accepted him as our Lord and Savior, we were born again, okay? And that means we were made alive unto God in the Spirit, and now we've got this ability to connect with God, and we can hear God talk to us, we can have fellowship with God, we can be empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's the Spirit side of of who we are. Where the struggle is, is when our minds, wills, and emotions get tangled up in the race that God set in front of us. That's that soulish part of who we are as a person. So the way that you prevail is having this active, authentic relationship with the Holy Spirit. And church, I can't emphasize this enough. The Holy Spirit in your relationship with him every day is the key to your victory. It's the key. Now, let me just give you an example because one of the things that I said was, you know, being religious isn't going to win spiritual battles in your life. And I love the example in um, Acts chapter 19. So there were these guys, they were like itinerant um, exorcists. They were these Jewish exorcists, and, and they were the, some of y'all have heard the story about the seven sons of Sceva. Sceva was this Jewish priest, and he had these seven sons, and so, you know, they were kind of in practice and in training. And so they were going around trying to exercise de- demonic spirits out of people. So they come to this one guy, and, you know, all seven of the brothers are there together. It's really not, I shouldn't be laughing because it's tragic what happened to him, but in hindsight, it's kind of funny. But um, so they go to this guy, and this guy's got like a demon in him, like a bad one, right? And so they come to him, and they say, well, we adjure you in the name of Jesus Christ that Paul preaches. Come out. Well, and this guy looks at him, and this demon speaks out of his body, and he says, Jesus, I know, Paul, I've heard of, but who are you? And then all of a sudden, this demon manifests itself. He jumps on all seven of these guys and literally whoops them so bad that they run out of the house naked. I mean, they're just trying to get away with their very lives. I mean, he whoops them that bad. So, you know, that's a funny story, but I'm glad it wasn't me. And, you know, but being religious isn't enough. You've got to have a relationship with the Lord yourself. Hebrews 12, 2. Let, let's look at this together. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. It says, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy that was set before him, did y'all hear that? I'm going to say that again. Who for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken the seat at the right hand of the throne of God. Looking to Jesus, all right, who are we all looking to? Jesus. I'm not looking to Pastor Tim, although Tim is 
been an awesome spiritual father in my life for many, many years. I'm not looking at Tim. I'm looking at Jesus, okay? I'm not looking to some person on television preaching the gospel. I'm not looking to my parents. Come on. I'm looking to who? Jesus. So Jesus is the guy that we're looking to. Because as, as great as Tim has been, Tim's a human being. Tim makes mistakes. You know, as great as I am, my wife tells me that all the time. You know, I, I still make mistakes, right? That was a joke. That Y'all didn't laugh, but my wife was actually, she was like, <laughs> looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Now watch this. Who for the sake of the joy that was set before him. Now, guys, when we see the point of the battle, we're more prone to fight for it. So important that we see this. I was just talking to a guy here earlier, and we were talking about his family and his children. And I was just encouraging him about what a blessed life he has because he's got a beautiful wife, he's got wonderful kids, God's blessed him. Let me tell you something. That's worth fighting for. Come on. See, that's worth fighting for. Now, look at this. When we see the point of the battle, we're more prone to fight for it. The promise becomes stronger than the process. And if you've lost your desire to fight, maybe you're here tonight and you've lost your desire to fight, to contend for what you have, to contend for what God has promised you. Somewhere along the way, you lost sight of God's good intentions for your life and God's promises for your life. Now, we've got to understand, church, how the devil works. You know, I was talking to our our Pastor Tim about this, and I said, you know, too many people get focused on hairy leg demons and witchcraft and black and white magic and demonic forces... And we lose sight of where the real battle happens every single day. This is what we have to focus on. You can't be preoccupied, so preoccupied with the battle itself and lose sight of the purpose and the promise at the end. That's the key. You know, listen, if if battle becomes your focus, who wants to fight for the sake of fighting? If I'm just going to fight for the sake of fighting, I just want to go to my room, shut the door, pull the covers on my head, and quit. If that's the only reason that I'm fighting is just for the sake of fighting, and I'm just focusing on the battle itself, then I forget I'm done. That's not what I focus on. For the joy, come on, for the joy set before him. How did Jesus endure all the ba- Every demon of hell came against Jesus Christ. How did Jesus win? How did he overcome for the joy set before him? See, he saw you redeemed. He saw me redeemed. He saw God's kingdom coming down. He saw the whole earth being changed. He saw sons and daughters of God rising up. And that is what empowered Jesus Christ. So you get a vision for your life. Come on, you get a vision for your friends. You get a vision for the guys in TC. You get a vision for your kids. You get a vision for your grandkids, for your husband, for your wife, for your family. When you get a vision, you'll fight the battles that the enemy brings against you. And see, it's at these moments we understand. See, at these moments, I understand. My spirit is renewed. I start thinking about, hey, man, I know what I'm contending for. I got people watching me. I got friends counting on me. I got people looking to me. I can't afford to quit. I can't afford to lose. I've got to win this fight. And then I start looking. Come on, give God a hand clap. Absolutely. 
You got to win the fight. See, we got people looking at us. We got people counting on us. See, that, that fuels me. That pushes me forward every single day. When we keep our eyes trained on these things, we'll be renewed. When we keep our eyes trained on these things, we'll be encouraged. And, and we'll be reminded, we'll be reminded, listen, that the fight that we're in is worth it. Your friends are worth it. Your kids are worth it. Your family's worth it. I mean, people in your life, they're worth it. That's why we fight the good fight of faith. Now, I want to talk a little bit about recognizing the enemy because I, I want to bring this into a little practical application as we're talking about this, recognizing the enemy because the Bible talks a lot about that. The best way to defeat the enemy is to understand how to fight against the devil's schemes. You've got to know. T.D. Jakes, he said this, you must understand your enemy. You cannot defeat what you don't understand. Now, when we go into battle in our military, we study our enemy. We study the geography. We study the layout. We understand their strengths, their weaknesses, and we develop a battle plan based upon how we know the enemy operates And that gives us a way to defeat them, right? We do the same thing with the devil. Same way. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11 says, So Satan will not outsmart us, for we are familiar with his evil schemes. Schemes. The devil's a schemer. He's a strategist, okay? But so is God. God's a strategist too, and he's a way better strategist because he wins. As a matter of fact, he won. We're just, we're just fighting these little pockets of resistance until the, the battle is completely over. Go, go to Ephesians chapter 6. This will be a very familiar passage. It talks about the armor of God. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. It's, it's a few scriptures right before you get into describing the armor. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Now, my beloved ones, I have saved these most important truths for last. Everybody listen. Be supernaturally infused with strength through your life union with the Lord Jesus. Stand victorious with the force of his explosive power flowing in and through you. Put on God's complete set of armor provided for us so that you will be protected as you fight against the evil strategies of the accuser. Your hand-to-hand combat is not with human beings. So my fight's not with my wife. It's not with my kids. It's not with people that I work with. It's not with people who oppose the the truth of the gospel. That's not where my fight is. It says your hand-to-hand combat is not with human beings, but with the highest principalities and authorities operating in rebellion under the heavenly realms. For they are powerful class of demons and evil spirits that hold this dark world in bondage. Because of this, you must wear all the armor that God provides so you are protected as you confront the slanderer. For you are destined for all things and will rise victorious. Now, I've read a couple of verses here, and I want to pick out some words because I want to make sure that everybody recognizes some key words. Schemes strategies, slandering, deception. 
These are the weapons of the devil's warfare. This is how he fights us. Schemes, tricks, some translations say wiles, W-I-L-E-S, wiles. Schemes, tricks, strategies, slandering. So our winning and losing every day will depend on our understanding of the battle and who we're fighting. So important that we understand who we're fighting. Now, we understand John 10.10, Jesus exposed the devil. He said, I have come to give you life and that that life will be abundant. But here's what he said about the devil. He says, the devil is a thief, he's a liar, and he's a murderer. That's what Jesus described the enemy as. The, The devil is a thief, a liar, and a murderer. He is an accuser. He is an enemy of God. So Jesus just exposed the enemy. See, he's no longer hidden in the shadows. Jesus shined the spotlight on him. He said, here he is, folks, right here. Everybody look. And here is how he operates. See, he's, the devil operated in the shadows in my life for many, many years. And he kept me defeated. I didn't even know it. But see, when I met Christ, Jesus said, okay, here, let me, let me my light, my light in your life now, it's going to illuminate, it's going to be revelation, it's going to shine my light on the enemy, and here's how the enemy has been manipulating you and lying to you and deceiving you and scheming you your entire life. And all of a sudden I went, well, I'm done with that. Devil's not going to do that to me anymore. I'm about to start getting a strategy to win. So the devil's been exposed. So we all have to be diligent in our fight against the enemy because the enemy wants to take advantage of us. Well, actually, his goal is to kill, steal, and to destroy everything that is good and wholesome and lovely and honorable and godly in our lives. That's what the devil wants to do, and he'll do it through any means possible. So we've got to be diligent. Now, the way we get serious is to see the devil as your literal enemy. He is your enemy. You know, we've got some guys in our church that have been in the military. They don't play around. They don't, you know, people who don't understand military life, and I'm, I'm not in the military, but I've talked to a lot of guys who are, guys that go into the military, they're trained and they are taught that is your enemy. They will kill you if you don't understand they are your literal enemy. You're not to be friends with them. You're not patty caking with them. You're not sitting down having dinner with them. You're not having conversations with them. They are your enemy. And church, we've got to understand the devil hates us. Everything about us, he is our enemy and we have to see him as our literal enemy. Now the battle's been won by Jesus and we have the advantage. We have the advantage, no doubt about it. We just have to clearly see the devil and keep him in his place. Where is his place? Right there. Right there. Now, he, he'll squirm a little bit and try to get away. That's when you apply pressure, right? You ever been there? Maybe some of y'all stepped on a snake or a bug or any number of things, okay? So, uh, hold up. No, you're, we'll just keep you right there. Now, I think it's important to say, for all of us, the devil isn't equal to God. And I, you know, and I say that because sometimes we act like he is. We really do. We'll read in the Bible where we know that he isn't, but we act like the devil 
is equal to God. The devil is an angel with a God complex. But he's not equal to God. God created him. And if you remember, I think it's somewhere around Isaiah chapter 17. It says the devil was booted out of heaven and he hit the earth like a lightning bolt. That's a pretty hard punt, right? That's a pretty hard punt. And so God's like, out, see you. You're not staying here. So the devil is not equal to God. The devil is evil and he will attack you even though you do have the advantage because he's evil. That's what he does. Well, I just can't believe the devil did that to me. He's evil. He doesn't care. He doesn't play fair. He isn't going to show you any mercy. Therefore, you don't need to show him any leeway. You have to make sure you remain vigilant with the enemy. Now, the devil's not going to succeed if we stand our ground because we have the promise of victory. And there's been times that the devil came against me and he thought he had me, but he only found out. God just resurrected me. You ever been buried? God resurrected you? I've been there many times. I thought I was buried, and God says, let's just resurrect you. We'll just show the devil. We'll do, we'll, we'll do to him what my son did to him. He thinks he's buried you. I'm just going to resurrect you, and I'm going to make you more powerful than you ever were before he tried to bury you the first time. See, that's what the enemy, that's what happens with God. So when the enemy comes at you, he hopes that you will surrender. That's his hopes. Now, I'm going to make some statements, and they're going to be familiar to you because you've heard them whispered in your ear, and you've heard these echo in your mind and in your heart. So listen to these statements. He'll tell you, you waited too long. You believed for too much. See, nothing happened. You might as well throw in the towel. God's not going to come through for me. We're not going to experience it. Guys, I want you to understand, none of those statements came from the throne of God. None of them. Those are all lies from the enemy that he plants in our hearts and minds, and he tries to get us to bite the hook, to take the bait. Now, I've seen this time and time again, and honestly, I've seen it in my own life. I hate to admit it, but, I mean, we're all there, and that's why I wanted to talk about spiritual warfare because I think this is where we all live. Here's the thing. The devil may not have to steal very much from us, especially if we're just giving it away. Church, we can't give it away. We can't give it away. We're called, listen, the Bible says that we are called to fight the good fight of faith. So my encouragement to you is, God, I'm tired. Empower me. God, I'm weary. Fill me. God, I'm struggling. Help me. But roll up your sleeves and put your boxing gloves back on and fight the good fight of faith. That's where we live. Now, the enemy is real. And each of us is given the opportunity to defeat him personally. The, you know, I, I have to be honest with you. Fighting the devil is not a scary proposition for me. It really isn't. Fighting the devil is not a scary proposition for me. It's an opportunity for me to win. Because Jesus has given me the victory. See, Jesus is the one that's fought my battles for me. I understand that Jesus put me in the seat 
of the victor. The crown is waiting for me. So fighting the devil is not a scary uh, proposition for me. It's an empowering responsibility. I get to fight the devil, and I get to win. And I tell the devil all the time, you know, you come against me one way, the Lord's going to come against you seven ways. You're not going to stop what God is doing in my life. Listen, God didn't deliver you out of darkness for you to live in fear and purposelessness and powerlessness your whole life. God delivered you out for you to walk in victory, amen? See, God has a plan in place to empower us every day. Every single day, God wants to move us from glory to glory, line upon line, precept upon precept. Yeah, maybe you had a little setback, but you know what? I've heard preachers say it wasn't a setback, it was a setup. God's just setting you up for victory. So let's talk a little bit about practically how we make this work. Well, one thing that I can tell you is truth wins the day. Truth will always win the day, and declaration is the way you speak truth, okay? So let's look at a couple of scriptures. Go to Proverbs chapter 18. Now, this will be really familiar to you. Proverbs 18, verse 2. We've probably all read this. I'm using a couple of different translations just because I'm going to mix it up a little bit just to keep it from um, being stale to you. Proverbs 18, verse 2. Your words are so powerful, they will kill or give life. Mm. Do you hear that? Your words are so powerful, they will kill or give life. Listen to what the message translation says. Words kill, words give life. They're either poison or fruit. You choose. You choose. Now, when we speak, we're sowing seeds, and we're going to reap a harvest of what we speak every single time. We can speak faith over our lives, believing that God can do something and praising him for it, and we can walk in victory because that's what will happen if you make that declaration out of your mouth. So this is the the big way that you win against the devil is you make your declarations. And I've watched people. I mean, I've been around people, and I've personally just thought to myself, in in my soulish side, boy, they're in a pickle. They're in a really tough place. And I'm like, God, if you don't come through for them, there's no way they're going to make it. I've actually been in those places myself. I said, God, there's no, there's no way if you don't come through for me, there's no way I'm going to make it. And you know what God told me? He said, I've already come through for you. All you have to do is declare it. Come on, y'all hear me? I've already come through for you. All you have to do is declare it. See, we got to speak the word. Now, if we do this, there's nothing for the enemy to use against us. Now, if we're speaking a bunch of negative stuff out of our mouth, my kids are just my boss, my wife, my husband, well, my, the people that I work with. If you've got a bunch of negative things coming out of your mouth, you're just giving the devil fuel to destroy your life. Remember, your words create life or death. Man, I love my boss. I love my wife. I love, I'm grateful. I'm thankful. God, I'm going to walk in victory. God, you've got good things for me. You've got a bright future. You see the difference? I mean, it's just a huge difference of what you're going to create 
by the words that come out of your mouth. So we speak faith over our lives, believing that God is doing something in the background and praising him for it. Even before it happens, we're giving God praise and thanks for it, even before it comes to pass. Now, if we do this, there's not one thing that the enemy can grab from that and take it and use it against us. But if you start talking a bunch of negative talk out of your mouth and you start meditating on a bunch of negative words in your mind, ooh, watch out. You better watch out. Making a declaration of truth is saying what is true rather than saying what you feel. Huge. Making a declaration of truth is saying what is true rather than saying what you feel. Now, we're not relying on feeling something to put it into action. Listen, you don't even have to believe something before you say it. There's been lots of things that I've said that I didn't believe. I just kept saying it until I did. Right? You're, listen, that's how your mind works, guys. Your, your, mind doesn't ha- your mind doesn't differentiate between thoughts and words. If you say it and you keep saying it, your mind will grab hold of it and go with it. It'll believe it. It happens all the time. Watch illusionists. They trick us all the time. We're looking right at it with our eye, but our mind tells us something different. Every single day. See, so we make declarations of truth. We aren't relying on feeling it to put it into action. I don't have to believe it to say it. I I just say it. In fact, the more you say something, the more you believe it, your feelings will just begin to follow. You start saying good things out of your mouth about the people that you work with, before you know it, your feelings will start feeling that too. If you start saying good things about your kids, you start speaking blessings over your life, you start talking God's promises over your mouth, out of your mouth, all of a sudden, depression will leave you, hopelessness will leave you, victory will start coming, excitement will start coming, God will start moving, and you'll start seeing things happening in your life. Let, let me just give you an example. Everybody go to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4, verse 17. Now, Abraham set a great example for us here. This is what the scriptures mean when it says, I have made you the father of many nations. He is our example and father. For in God's presence, he believed that God can raise the dead and call into being that that doesn't exist yet. Against all odds, when it looked hopeless, Abraham believed the promise and expected God to fulfill it. He took God at his word, and as a result, he became the father of many nations. God's declaration over him came to pass. Your descendants will be so many that they will be impossible to count. Now listen, when everything seemed hopeless, what's hopeless? That's hopeless. It's not, no, no chance of that happening. But it says, when everything seemed hopeless, Abraham believed anyway deciding to live not on the basis of what he saw he couldn't do, but on the basis of what God said he would do. So don't look at what you don't think you can do. You've got to look at what God says he can do. See, this is the strategy for defeating the enemy in our life, declaring truth over your life, declaring faith over your life, declaring God's promises over your 
life. We don't use words to describe our situation. We use words to change our situation. And many people here tonight, beginning, you need to retrain your vocabulary and catch yourself. What is coming out of your mouth? What are you saying about your future? What are you saying about your mate? What are you saying about your kids, your job, your life? No, you've got to talk yourself into God's blessings. Truth speaks a better declaration. Now, we don't disregard the facts. I'm just not relegated to them. I mean, okay, if I pull, there's no money in here. There's some lint, but there's no money. Well, I just don't have any money. That's a fact. But I'm not relegated to that fact. Because I can say, well, I may not have any money in my pocket, but my God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So God will make a way. So that's where I stand, right? I've seen this happen for hundreds of people. They didn't, there, there was a way that they couldn't see. They didn't seem any possible way. And then God made a way. So you just use your lint. If that's all you got, then use that. God, listen, the faith of a mustard seed, it doesn't take but just a little bit. God can use it if we will just agree with him. Now, the enemy tries to point out the facts to God's unfaithfulness, but we don't resign ourselves to that. Instead, we speak to the mountain standing in front of us. Mark eleven twenty three and 24, if you say to this mountain, be up and removed and do not doubt, but believe that you receive what you've asked for, it will be done to you. It'll be cast into the sea. So what are mountains? What are mountains? The majority of the mountains in our life, church, where are they at? In our minds. It's not in some demon hiding around some corner in your house in the dark. Okay, we got to get away from all that. Not, I'm not saying that's not a deal, and there's people that God has to deal with that, but I, I'm saying where we all live every day. This is where we all live every day. It's in our minds. Our minds are our biggest battleground. So the only thing that you need to hold on to in your mind is God's truth. you got to care. Okay, what am I meditating on? What am I thinking about? God's truth remains relevant across all seasons and through all experiences of life. No matter what you face or what you go through, God's truth will remain constant. Now, let me show you how to do this. Pastor Tim did a series, and it's been a while back, but it's a great series called The Storehouse Principle. It was a financial series that Tim did, and he talked about storing up money, okay? And so the storehouse was a a way to put money into a savings, and that would begin to build and build and build. And as you continually put into the storehouse, the storehouse grows, and it works off of interest, and then when you need money, you have it, right? I mean, we we all understand that principle, and it works. I, I put that principle into action many, many years ago in my life, and I have money, okay? He taught the principle of storehousing money, but the same principle is true in spiritual warfare. We just got to see it. It just applies. You storehouse the Word. You storehouse it. You just let the Word build up in you, the same principle. When you read the Word, meditate on it. Think about it. Man, I just say it over and over. I'll take me two or three verses, and I'll just speak them out loud, and I'll say them over and over and over. And I'll say, this is for me. This is mine. This is what you say. This is mine. Now, let me give you an example. David, David did this in the Psalms, and you don't have to turn there just for the sake of time, but I want to read this to you. Psalms 119, 
verse 9 through 16. How can a young man stay poor, pure, only by living in the word of God and walking in its truth? I have longed for you with the passion of my heart. Don't let me stray from your directions. I consider your prophecies to be the greatest treasure, and I memorize them and write them on my heart to keep me from committing sin's treason against you. My wonderful God, you are to be praised above all. Teach me the power of your decrees. I speak continually of your laws, and I recite out loud your counsel to me. I find more joy in following what you tell me to do than chasing after all the wealth of the world. I set my heart on your precepts. I pay close attention to all your ways. My delight is found in all your laws, and I won't forget to walk in your words. And I can tell you tonight that if you aren't doing that, you are not walking in victory. But if you are doing that, you will be walking in victory. So just look at your situation, look at where you are, examine your life and say, Am I doing what David did? Am I applying this to my life? As I close tonight, listen, you won't be able to defeat the enemy if all you have is a, in your scabbard is a Bible verse that you read 10 years ago. It's got to be fresh. It's got to be anointed. It's got to be now. It's got to be present. God's word is alive and it's active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword, able to pierce between bone and marrow, soul and spirit. That's what the Bible says. So you've got to keep your faith fresh by meditating the word and making the declaration of the word out of your mouth. Remember, the devil isn't the only one with a strategy. God's got a strategy. He's given us the strategy. He's shown us all how we can walk in victory and when I provided you the strategy speak it meditate it declare it understand God's good intentions toward you don't be suspicious of God cultivate your relationship with the Holy Spirit I'm telling you you'll win every single time now we know we're going to face battles God never promised us that we wouldn't as a matter of fact, Jesus said, you know, there are a lot of battles that we're going to face in life. But he says, but take heart because I have overcome the world. And we overcome through Jesus Christ and through declaring his word out of our mouth. Amen. Did y'all get something out of this? Praise the Lord. Stand with me tonight. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you tonight. God, we thank you that you created us to thrive and live powerfully and God tonight we take our fight to the enemy with boldness and confidence God we grab hold of the promises tightly we hold on to them God forgive us where we have given the devil permission in our homes and permission in our life to wreak havoc God we take back authority we take back control and God we take the fight to the enemy knowing that we have the victory in Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray tonight that you encourage, that you help, that you edify, that you motivate your church, God, so that we will be the people of God that you've called us to be. Thank you, Lord. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.
You have been listening to the CMC Podcast. For more information about CMC, our different conferences, Christian school, college internship, resources, and more, go to cmchurch.com. 